All right, welcome in episode 154 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Chadon. Big, big, big time sports week, folks. We're talking hoops. We're talking women's basketball, would you believe it? We're previewing the Masters, Brave Start Hot, and plenty more. Let's get after it for our 154th time. Hot Grits Podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. But first, some sports. All right, welcome in Hot Grits Podcast. Um, different episode today. I guess everyone's different. They're like snowflakes. These Hot Grits Podcast episodes. Um, we're gonna start where we've never started before, folks. We're gonna go someplace that we haven't been before. But you guys know, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know, we'll touch the things they don't want to touch. We'll walk up and just tap them. Just touch it. Walk right up to the line. We're going to go to a place called women's basketball, folks. Women's basketball, front and center, over the weekend after LSU and Iowa played um, in front of what ESPN reported to be 9.9 million people. It was the most watched women's college basketball game of all time. Think about that now. Of all time. Pretty impressive. Now, why did people tune in to watch that game? If you're listening to this, you already know what happened. LSU won. Congrats to Savannah native Flage. More on that down the road. But LSU beat Iowa. And Iowa's superstar, Caitlin Clark, a white player. More on that very soon. People tuned in to watch Caitlin Clark versus LSU. That's what happened. Caitlin Clark, the girl who was lighting up teams left and right, 30-plus points every night. And in the Final Four, she scored 41 against South Carolina uh, You know, in an ass-whooping. South Carolina, the favorite. In that game, so Clark and LSU, or Clark and Iowa lose to LSU. No big deal, right? Oh, it was a huge deal, especially on Sunday night. Um, as an aside, never have your championship game Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, that's when the Little League World Series has its championship game. It shouldn't be when the national championship for women's college basketball is. Jesus, at least put it at 6 p.m. Eastern. I mean, that's not asking too much. 3 p.m. Eastern, that's when bowling comes on. That's when bowling comes on. Man, so dumb. But I guess it didn't matter. 9.9 million tuned in. Hello. So, why did it make news? Why did people tune in? They tuned in for Clark. Why did it make news after the game? Because LSU star 
and I'll use that word lightly, Angel Reese taunted Clark after the game. Clark against South Carolina had done the uh, John Cena hand in front of the face. You can't see me. You guys know what I'm, what I'm referring to, I hope. Um, basically, you know, waving the hand in front of the face, taunting whoever it is you're looking at saying, you can't see me, you can't stop me. Angel Reese did it as the clock was hitting 0.00 in the game, as the game was over. Okay, so the game was already over. When Caitlin Clark did that move one round prior against South Carolina, an SEC team, by the way, just like LSU, when Clark did it, she did it in the middle of her heater, in the middle of the game. And she's on record as saying she wasn't even doing it towards the other player for South Carolina. She was looking at her coach. But Angel Reese didn't like it. So she waited till the very end of the game. Then she followed Caitlin Clark to the sideline, got up next to her, waved her hand in her face, and taunted her using the same exact celebration that Caitlin Clark did. Now, it's the same celebration. It happened at two different times. If Angel Reese wanted to do that, she should have done it after she made a bucket in the third quarter. Do it then. Not as the game is ending. When Clark can do nothing about it anymore. That's all fine and well. Because Clark didn't care. I don't really care. I mean, I think trash talking is awesome. It was what they said after the game. Especially Angel Reese. Who nobody had heard of before this game. Unless you were a college basketball fan. A women's college hoops fan. Which there are four of you out there. Or if you're an LSU fan. That's the only way you would hear of her. Okay? Nobody knew who this girl was. Nobody knew who Caitlin Clark was. Until two weeks ago. The only reason Angel Reese's name is getting brought up at all today at all, is because of what she had to say post-game. Listen to this. All year, I was critiqued about who I was. Nobody, I don't, yeah, yeah, the narrative, I don't fit the narrative. I don't fit in the box that y'all want me to be in. I'm too hood, I'm too ghetto. Y'all told me that all year. But when other people do it, y'all don't say nothing. So this was for the girls that look like me, that's going to speak up on what they, they believe in. It's unapologetically you. And that's what I did it for tonight. This was for the more than, it was bigger than me tonight. It was bigger than me. Twitter is going to go in a rage every time. And I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I feel like I've grown, helped grow women's basketball this year. I'm super happy and excited. So I'm looking forward to celebrating in the next season. All right, there she is, folks. God's gift to women's basketball. The greatest thing that's ever been given to women's basketball. That's why they called her Angel. After all, straight from heaven, heaven sent, like manna. But the thing is, nobody tuned in to see you, angel. A lot of quotes from that. Quote, other people do it and y'all don't say nothing, end quote. Again, we've been over this. If, if she's referring to Caitlin Clark, other people did it during the game to their own coach. 
not at the end of the game when there's nothing else to be done. In the middle of the game trash talking, I'm not only okay with it, I'm for it. Especially for the women's game. They need all the publicity they can get. It worked. 9.9 million. But at the end of the game? I mean, that's 101. You learn that in peewee sports, in Little League. In the YMCA Hoops League, you learn that. Don't rub it in your opponent's face when the game's over. Duh, Angel. Quote, don't fit the narrative, end quote. Uh, what narrative? Nobody was talking about you. There was no narrative. There was no narrative. How arrogant to think that there was a narrative around you. Quote, I don't fit in your box. End quote. Uh, do you know how many women there are in college basketball that look like Angel Reese? Does she think she's like sticking up she, like she's Jackie Robinson of women's basketball? I mean, the arrogance of this is beyond me. Like she's changed the game. I think I've changed the women's game forever. Who are you? Who are you? I think she had 19 and 10 in the title game. 19 points and 10 boards. Oh boy, you'll go down in history, Angel. So she waits till the end of the game to taunt Caitlin Clark. Then she waits till the press conference afterwards to tell you what a prophet she is for women's hoops, for people that look like her. Like she's some, like breaking a color barrier, breaking the mold, breaking the narrative that didn't exist. She's, quote, Twitter's gonna rage. So you already knew, Angel, that this was gonna happen on Twitter. That's why you did it. For the clout. Quote, speak up on what they believe in. End quote. When she was talking about how she wanted people like, that looked like her to be able to speak up for what they believe in. To be unapologetically themselves. If you want to be yourself, Angel, that's fine. But we don't have to like it and we can actually make fun of it. Because it's a weirdo move. Weird, weird move. Weird. That's what Michael Jordan was known for. He was famously known for trash talking before and after games. <clears throat> God's gift to basketball, Angel Reese. <laughs> what did Caitlin Clark have to say about it? Let's hear from her. At the end of the game, what happened? There's a lot blown up on Twitter about Angel Reese following you around, pointing to her ring finger and taunting you. Honestly, I have no idea. I was just trying to get to the handshake line and shake hands and, you know, be grateful that my team was in that position. Um, you know, that's all you can do is, you know, hold your head high, be proud of what you did, and, you know, 
all the credit in the world to LSU. You know, they were tremendous. They they deserve it. Um, they had a tremendous season. Kim Mulkey coached them so, so well. Um, you know, she's one of the best basketball coaches of all time, um, and it shows. And uh, she only said really kind things to me in the handshake line, so I'm very grateful for that, too. But um, honestly, I have no idea. And uh, I was just trying to, you know, spend the last few moments on the court with especially the five people that I've started 93 games with um, and relishing every second of that. Yeah, when you're great, you're going to get the hate. That's what's going to happen. Now, like I said, Clark didn't really care about Angel Reese's taunting, nor should she. And again, I, I didn't really care until I heard what Miss Reese had to say afterward. I mean, that really was one of the strangest, weirdest, dumbest things I've ever heard. To think that Angel Reese, she's anointing herself as the woman that changed women's college basketball. I mean, she's good. Cool. On the list of women's college basketball players ever, Angel Reese ain't on it. I don't care what kind of top you're doing. Caitlin Clark probably is. And is it because she's white? Because that's an easy one to go to. The race card was back, folks. The old reliable race card. It was like the women's version of Larry versus Magic. Except for if Magic would have taken to the podium afterwards and basically said, yeah, I'm sticking up for all the black people. But Magic, most of your team's black. Most of the league's black. The race card is unbelievable because like I said over and over again in this thing and like you can find in a lot of decent, dare I say, analysis of this incident, there are so many things that differentiate what Clark did to South Carolina and what Reese did against Iowa. And the white versus black thing, uh, our old pal William C. Roden, who used to write for the New York Times, um, nobody loves the race card more than Bill. Roden is R-H-O-D-E-N. You can look up what he wrote. It's a joke. That white players are somehow elevated and when Clark did it, that it was called confident. And when Reese did it, it was called cocky. That's because when Clark did it, it was during the game. So she did it. And the other player that saw it, the other players on South Carolina that heard it, saw it, didn't like it, had a chance to do something about it. Miss Reese waited till after the game and waited till she got to the podium to do something about it. That, that is above race. That is classless, no matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are. You want to talk your talk, do it during the game when the other man can fight back. In this case, when the other woman can fight back. By fight, I mean play. Who would have known, starting with women's basketball? What a world. Oh yeah, and also UConn won the men's national title Monday night. Kind of a big deal. They beat San Diego State in what was a snoozer of a national title game. 
great Final Four, great tournament. I thought later in the week, um, just as an update here, we'll have the winner of our John Carr Bracket Pool, sponsored by John Carr Real Estate. Um, we will get that interview set up. We couldn't get to it today. We also may have had a little discrepancy there with the naming of the winning bracket. More on that um, on the next episode. John Carr, in the meanwhile, selling real estate left and right, folks. If you're buying or selling, call him today. 912-228-0916. 912-228-0916. John Carr Real Estate. We want to thank him for supporting the podcast every month. We want to thank him for sponsoring our Bowl Mania Challenge, as well as our Bracket Group Challenge for three years now. Couldn't do it without John. Um, and look, in the last month or so, you know, John's been one of the few people, the few sponsors to stick by my side. And, and that kind of thing, I don't forget. I hope you guys don't forget that when you need your real estate needs met in the Savannah area. Call or text John, 912-228-0916. All right, we're going to run through pretty quickly here now. The Braves start 3-1. and one. They won 8-4 to four Monday night. Over the Cardinals, they have won three of four to start. Um, yeah, good job, Trav. So here in my notes, I wrote the Braves are three and one, and they've won three of four to start. What a genius I am. That math adds up, though. Three plus one carries a two. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, stock up, stock down, stock holding. Let's do it this way. Whose stock is up after the first four games? Who's holding? Who's down? Everybody's stock is up for me on the Braves, except for Sean Murphy, slow start. Uh, Jared Schuster got roughed up in the finale against the Nats. Uh, he settled in, though, got some innings eaten. And then Max Fried, stock down because he got injured uh, like 30 seconds into the first game. Um, I think he'll be fine coming back. Kyle Wright on the way back as well. Um, Dylan Dodd this week uh, as Schuster gets optioned. Down as, and then the de they designated um, Luplo for assignment, I believe. Um, so that's the moves with the Braves. I think stock holding Marcelo Zuna got off to a slow start. I think he was one for his first 12 before Monday night. That one hit was a home run. A um, couple of walks on Monday night, I know. Listen, he hasn't been good again to start. The reason I'm putting stock holding is because if he can, like, if they can figure out how to use Marcelo Zuna without him costing the team, I'm for it. I can't believe they're in that situation, but he's going to be in the lineup. We're going to have to accept that. So if you're telling me that one out of every 12 at-bats is going to get a hit, one out of every 12 at-bats is going to be a home run, a couple of walks, I'd be okay with that. Couple of walks in a homer every three games. <laughs> She's not great from your DH. But I do already see Brian Snicker pushing buttons. He's pushing buttons, folks. We, you know we like a good button pusher here. Um, he has used Darno in the DH role. He has used Darno behind the plate, Sat Murphy, uh, Monday night. He's shuffled the lineup a little bit there at four, five, six. Moving Harris around, um, and, and Orlando Arcia has been solid at shortstop. Uh, I would put his stock as holding slash up. 
So, you know, the little stock market arrow, it's not going straight up and down. It's not horizontal, somewhere in the middle. Figure out your angles. Um, stock up, Braves broadcaster, Brandon Godden. Did you guys hear him work this piece of gold into the broadcast against the Nationals? Now listen to this as he's talking about the new rule changes. So fucking funny. Those bases three inches bigger this year. Drawing the ire and envy of men everywhere. Those bases three inches bigger this year. Drawing the ire and envy of men everywhere. Oh, that's so good, that cheeky bastard. Pretty good. Pretty good by BG. I wonder what you guys think about uh, the new Braves broadcaster. Tweet at me, at Jadon Sports. You guys know the deal. Let me know your thoughts on him, on the Braves in general. Um, the Phillies got swept, I believe, by the Rangers to start the season. The Mets lost 10-0 Monday to the Brewers. The Mets. Hilarious. Um, so the Braves obviously off to a good start in the NL East, obviously in first place. Uh, it took them forever to get to this spot last year. Let's hope they hold on to it. Um, all right, let's preview the Masters now with Mike Anthony. We're going to do a top four pick strap, but we touch on a lot of different golfers. Touch on Georgia Southern's Ben Carr, his chances at winning low am, uh, and then guys to make the cut, guys to win, guys in general, and the course in general. Uh, before we do that, a couple of local notes. Georgia Southern hired Charlie Henry as its 15th men's basketball head coach, the assistant from Alabama, so expect Georgia Southern to go to a three-point air raid style offense. They're going to try to score a shit ton of points, and I'm all for it. I think what you're seeing from Jared Binko and the athletic department there at Georgia Southern, they're hiring coaches with an identity now. Now, the last hire, Berg, was Binko's hire. Might have been his first one. Check me on that. But in Clay Helton, you got a guy that was known for something. Okay, He was known for high-flying offenses. Charlie Henry. What's Alabama basketball known for? Besides alleged murders by some of its players. Allegedly, allegedly. They're known for shooting a bunch of three-pointers. Live and die by the three sabermetrics galore. I'm for it. If he starts winning, we call him Coach Chuck. Uh, if, we, if he loses, he'll stay Charlie. Give me Chuck over Charlie any day of the week. All right, finally, before we preview the Masters with Mike Anthony, I wanted to point y'all's attention to something funny that Mayor Van Johnson had to say. Uh, Mayor Johnson on Facebook is one of a kind. He's one of a kind. This caught my eye the other day. He posts, um, let's see, I believe it was last Sunday. Now, we will name the square formerly known as Calhoun Square with a name that is more consistent with Savannah's values. This is your chance to give your thoughts on this. We hope you'll take advantage of this unique opportunity. The city of Savannah is accepting applications for naming of the square located between Abercorn Street and East Wayne Street. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's the end of, well, that's the end of what I'm going to read you. In other words, they're trying to rename Calhoun Square, and Mayor Johnson is posting about it as if it's some priority. 
Meanwhile, the Parks and Recreation Department is claiming they don't have the money to put in the work that is needed to make the baseball fields, and not just the baseball fields, the city athletic facilities, better. But we're taking time and we're taking Facebook posts to claim that the naming of Calhoun Square is somehow inconsistent with Savannah's values. Nobody gives a shit what you call it. Just call it something. Call it Van Johnson Square and move on to the things that matter. Oh my God. Somebody brought it up to him in the comments. Can we renovate Minnick Paulson Scarborough baseball fields first or build additional baseball fields? Let's spend time and money helping out the future. Mayor Johnson replied, we can do both and we should do both. We continue to spend millions of dollars on facilities, programs, and activities, and we need to rename this square. You're spending millions of dollars on facilities, programs, and activities. Mr. Mayor, you're out of touch on this one. Don't admit that you're spending millions of dollars if, if that's actually true because there's no results. They don't have lights at Minnick. They barely got open. They've been chained shut forever. Paulson's overrun. The grass is never cut. Scarborough baseball fields don't even have a bathroom, let alone lights or a concession stand. There's no place to piss but we're worried about what it's named. You could honestly name that thing whatever you want. I don't care about naming statues, bridges, squares. Uh, erase history. Is it racist? Is it not? The fact is, if they want to change it, and by they I mean city government leaders, then just change it because nobody is going to care one way or the other. But don't spend time and don't spend Facebook posts advertising it when there's problems right under your nose that we can all see and that we all care about. You're not spending millions of dollars. And if you are, you're wasting it because there have been no results. I've reached out to Mayor Johnson's office. Hopefully, we can get him on soon. That'd be fun. All right, let's preview the Masters now with Mike Anthony after a word from Spotify. <laughs> All right, welcome in top four draft, top four draft masters style this week. We got Mike Anthony on the line with us, so to speak. We got masters coming up this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the greatest golf tournament there ever was, the greatest top four drafters there ever were, myself and Mike. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick four golfers each, maybe do some honorable minchies afterwards of dudes that are long shots that we think might do well um but basically the way we're going to do this similar to the world series picks and mike you chime in if if there's something you want to correct here no no i like i like that this one will have a definitive winner and the way we're going to decide that definitive winner is of our four golfers each only the golfers that make the cut will count towards our final score and then it'll be lowest score to par wins so am I explaining that correctly, Mike? I know you know what I mean, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I would think that, you know, big names miss the cut every year. 
but we're I don't think either of us are going too far off the uh, the the top third or so of the betting sheet to make our picks. So you know if you don't make the cut, then you don't make the cut, uh, and everyone who makes a cut is going to have I would assume scores at or under par afterwards. So it's not like you can get hurt by having more guys make the cut than the other. Right. Exactly. Like now, if something crazy happens where the cut hap- where the cut is like you know, three over and one of our golfers makes the cut and then comes out and shoots three over, three over to finish at nine over, he would be mm-hmm. worse than the guy's cut. Well now, well, now you're the boss, so I'll, I'll leave it to you to make a last second change if you want. But the easy way around this, uh, now that they publish it, if you, if you want to uh, just take any uh, guesswork out of it, is just go by prize money. Because if you don't make the cut, you get zero. Most and everybody prize. that makes the cut gets money. Okay, that's what we're doing. Most prize money. Um, in case of a tie. And it also gives you way more of a, a lead if you pick a guy who's going to win or finish second. And it just get it's exponential, the winnings as you Right, go there's up. a huge difference between like eighth and tenth. So not only do you get credit for picking well, but you get more credit for every spot that you pick better than the other guy. Love that out of you, Mike. That's um, a really good performance at the start, unlike your Philadelphia Phillies. Um, uh, that was rough. That was rough. So good. Hey, they only gave up two runs on Sunday. Yeah, good by you. The to- uh, the Rangers don't look so bad now, do they? I didn't think they were bad. Mm-hmm. I just, hmm. I don't think I said they were bad. Hmm. Well, we don't have we don't have it recorded. So, um, all right, you got the number one pick, prize money. Uh, whoever has the most prize money wins. Anything else? Any other ground rules? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, we're not going to go like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce around the odd sheet a little bit, but yeah, you're right. I'm not. Oh, I'm yeah. not, I'm not yeah. picking um, Phil Mickelson at two hundred to one. Well, see, that's that's the other thing that the prize money lets you play around with is you know there are guys that could win it or flame out. Or do you want to go the safer way of a guy who's almost always a top 10, top 15, going to get you that cash showing? Ooh, I like that. So what do you want to do as a tiebreaker? I think that's very unlikely that we tie. Tiebreaker uh, we should do, I think, um, we should have like one golfer each, like an honorable mention golfer. Sure. And whoever scores lower wins. Fair enough. Okay. All right, you got the number one overall pick here. I'll let you take the floor. All right, number one overall. <sighs> plenty of guys playing really good golf. Plenty of highly ranked guys playing really good golf. So I think this might be the year. I got three words for you, my, my man. Career Grand Slam. Rory McIlroy with the number one overall pick. Going with Rory, if he can just get off the tee on 10. Classic Mike going with a non-American, not a Patriot, has never supported the troops. An American has won the Masters four out of five years. Mike's going to go with four out of six by picking Rory. He speaks English. It's fine. Oh, okay. That's your criteria? I mean, he's got that Irish brogue, too. That'll get you some places with the ladies. It never ceases to amaze me how low the bar is to please Mike Anthony. The bar is just so low. All you got to do is speak English. 
I'm a cheap date, man. It's a good pick. Uh, Rory right now is – and Mike, talk me through this. He's plus 750, so mm-hmm. that means he's something to two. Uh, well, it'd be well, it'd be seven and a half to one. So yeah, so it's fifteen to two. Yeah, math guy, boy, it's gonna be a nightmare adding up those. Uh, it's gonna be a nightmare adding up those uh, prize money turtles. It's gonna take me. <laughs> well, no, they, they just list it for you straight out. Yeah, like but the, it's gonna take me ten years to add all four of those together. Well, no, I'm not talking about odds. I'm talking about the actual money that they win. I know, or, Mike. I know, Mike. Like, yeah, but when. One guy wins eight hundred thousand dollars and or eight hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. I have to add that to whoever else is on your team and what they won. Yeah, yeah. You can figure it out. Way to ruin a bit. All right. Uh Rory, career grand slam. That's a nice pick. He's number two in the favorites behind um a certain Texan. I'm not gonna take him. I am gonna take him. No, I'm not. Give me Scheffler, whatever. Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> like the the idea of him winning back to back Masters tournaments seems ludicrous yeah. to me. But but you just took the number two betting favorite. I need I need a horse. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I get it. Um and it's tough to say he made it what to the semis of match play? Uh yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, he won the third place match over your guy. Yeah. So there you I go. I think he might have lost. I yeah, I wasn't paying attention. What else is new? Mikey with the number three overall pick. Rory and Scheffler off the board. We're going chalk so far. Oh, man. So many good guys out here. Um, uh, I'm going to go with a guy who is a previous major winner. But not a Masters winner. I think his ball striking is going to be very, very important if the greens are going to be forgiving like they should be, because it's going to be a little bit cooler, maybe a little wet over the weekend. He's got enough distance to make it not matter if he can place those shots on the green. He's going to set himself up with some birdie opportunities. Give me Colin Morikawa. Ooh, nice pick. The former California Golden Bear. Uh, Morikawa, 16 to 1 right now. Uh, I like a couple things about that pick, Mike. Let me start by saying that whenever you're in doubt when analyzing or talking about golf, just call the golf course a ball striker's golf course. Um, oh, yeah. No, you, you've got my, you're inside my playbook. Right. Which, which, by the way, just as an aside, there is, there has never and will never be a non ball striker's golf course. So I don't, I've never known what that means. Ever, but it will be said this week. Um, another thing, uh, wet over the weekend. Love adding a little moistness into the equation. Uh, right. You'll remember in 2019 when one Tiger Woods won. Don't want to step on picks here, but when he won. I mean, I, I was literally right there. I was in the front row of the press conference. So. Were you? I was. Yeah, I was there in 2019 too, but just for the drive, chip, and putt, and then Monday, Tuesday. So I wasn't there when he won, unfortunately. Um, ball striking, moistness, and Colin Morikawa. That's a uh, that's a playbook there. So you got Rory and Colin Morikawa so far. Um, I'm gonna go with 
And for for me, Mike, I'm thinking about guys like I'm not even necessarily thinking about guys who are gonna win. I just need guaranteed guys making the cut. Right there, you and go. there are some the- yeah, and there are some guys at the top who could win, but they could also miss the cut. Correct. Um, and I, I don't want to step on picks, so I won't say them. But we'll get to those guys. Give me, give me Justin Thomas here at 15 to one Justin Thomas at 15 to one. Um, he's kind of always been hovering around, uh, the masters, like never really in the top five. I don't think, I don't know how many top fives he has at the masters, if any, but he, he's almost, he's almost always going off early on Sunday, hitting it pretty good. And then he'll, and then you look up and he only finished, you know, four or five strokes back. Uh, right. Plus, he, plus he has the ability always, to win majors. We already know that. Right. Yeah. That, honestly, that's the thing. Keeping a, you know, he doesn't have that moniker of best player to not win a major because he's got what two, three of them under his belt. Yeah, he's got two, I believe. Yeah, two PGAs. So obviously, he's already proven that he can beat the best in the world. It's just that a lot of times he has a bad day, and it kind of takes him out of contention, even when he puts up a sixty-seven on Sunday to make him a lot more money. But, no, I like it. He's a guy that's solid. Um, I doubt he's going to implode on you. He's going to be right there. And ever since he came out of college, I mean, he's he's had the eye of everybody on him as a guy who, if he puts it together for four days, there's not too many people that can keep up with him. Yeah, I agree with you. We should we should note, Mike, that um, we're, we're doing this draft on Monday. This is prior to tea times coming out. This is also prior to – which tee times, like, I don't know that you or I are going to delve too much into, like, changing our picks based off of tee times, but the golfers care about that. Like, they mm-hmm. prefer one over the other. Uh, you'd rather not have the late early, so you'd rather not go late Thursday than early Friday. That's the less preferred. Um, yeah, you have, a, you have a tough Thursday, and then you got to wake up early and step on the gas right away. That's tough. So it's also before the Wednesday Par 3 contest, which, as we know, the winner of that will not and cannot win the Masters. It's prohibited. So just as an aside. All right, number five overall pick here for you, the start of the third round, Mikey. Who you got? All right. Uh, man, so many guys that I personally like that I think can win it. But I got to go with money, and this guy, he's just been at the top of every Saturday and Sunday leaderboard I've seen lately. And he's won a Masters before, and he's won it on Easter Sunday before. Give me speed. There it is. Um, Jordan Spieth actually has won. I think three tournaments on Easter. I, I believe so. Um, and I liked Spieth until I – you know what I did, Mike, and prep for this draft, which as – the listener will know is really, really in depth as far as the prep goes. Uh, mm-hmm. I read one of these things that did a model, like they simulate it, you know, 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Jordan Spieth not making the cut and that scared the shit out of me. And so I didn't pick him. Well, how many times out of 10,000 did it have him not making the cut? That's a good question. It just, <laughs> it just simulates it. And then I think formulates the average. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. Anybody's going to miss a cut a couple times out of 10,000. All right. Yeah. No, it's always good when you have to explain your pick right away. (laughs) So you got Rory Morikawa Spieth. I sense a theme here, Mikey. 
but I'm going to break it up. Uh, Spieth, by the way, is 14 to 1 on my sheet, Mike. Okay. I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to go. Give me the big cat. Give me Tiger Woods here in the third round. It's incredible value here with the number six overall pick. And what am I about, Mike? I'm about bringing talent into the building. Mm-hmm. Give me talent in the building, best player available. He's only the greatest player to ever walk the face of the earth, one Tiger Woods. He's had a little bit of success at Augusta National. And even if he's not going to win the damn thing, Mike, I know that – and I have proof in the past, including – uh, was it two years ago, 21, I think, that he just grinded his ass off to make the cut and then on Sunday finished with like four straight birdies, even though he was way out of contention. So I have proof that he'll care even if he's not going to win. Uh, 60 to 1 is by far the longest shot on the board so far. Tiger Woods, ever heard of him? Number six overall pick. Big cat. The big cat. All right, so you're up. With the start of the fourth round, number seven overall, your final pick, Michael. Who you got? Yep, I've got who do I have? I've got Rory. You got I've got You got Rory, Morikawa, and Spieth. Yeah, okay. So I've satisfied uh to, to your earlier grievances. I've got at least half my field American. Okay. So I'm gonna go back across the pond. Give me Matt Fitzpatrick. Ooh, Fitzpatrick. It's a good pick. Former major winner. Everyone on your list has won a major. Um, everyone on my list has won a major. No surprise there. Uh, well, and there aren't too many first-time major winners at the Masters unless you get lucky and it's your only one. That's a good point. Uh, Matsuyama, was he a first-time major winner? Well, that's what I'm saying, and it remains to be seen. He still has the game and the longevity to win more. but Right, but he hasn't really scared many- another one yet. You're right. And I'm saying that of multiple major winners, there aren't too many who won their first at Augusta other than, you know, some guy like, I don't know, someone you may have just drafted or who I may have drafted in the previous round that have gone on to show that they can win many more. The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street, Lady and Sons. You guys probably know the name. Paula Dean, Jamie Dean, uh, they have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9, Monday through Thursday, and then 11 to 10 on Friday and Saturdays. 912-233-2600, is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. And so here's what I want to do, Mike. I want to take John Rahm because he's the number three betting favorite. He he is still, you know, until he can calm down that temper. I just hate Augusta is going to put you in a corner, specifically an amen corner, I don't, and just make you sit there. Yeah, and I don't want to root for John Rahm. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't want him on my show. I like him. I just, I just think that – Of course you, know, you like he, him, Mike. He's not American. You love the internationals. And I used to have a terrible lisp, and he's from Athania, so. Really? I didn't know you had a, 
a lisp? Yeah, it was pretty bad for a while. I was straight up Lou Holtz in it through about second grade. Oh, you hate to hear that. But you had a fantastic memory, and that's why you played quarterback. That's right. Um, all right. Good pick there. So Mike has Rory, Morikawa, Spieth, and Fitzpatrick. Scheffler, JT, and Woods for me. Um, I am going to go with – Dustin Johnson, live tour. Ooh. Dustin Johnson, live tour. Dustin Johnson and all of his live buddies that are assured to be on the 18th green, according to Greg Norman. What has Greg Norman ever done to anybody? Well, never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, DJ, because I also, I, you know, and we can do the live thing if you have takes, Mike. For me, oh, I don't really have takes. I was just going on the quote that if any of the live guys, yeah, it was an win, that all the rest of them are going to be there. It was an interesting oh. take, but but that's what Greg Norman said they should do. He said if any live tour golfer wins, they should all be on the 18th green celebrating. I don't think they're going to listen to him. Yeah. Like that's not going to. I don't see envision that envision that happening at all, especially at a place like Augusta National. Right. That's what I was about to say. Is if anything can put any of the animosity on hold, it's going to be that whether you're PGA, live or whatever, anyone short of Gary Player's kid, uh, you're not going to just poke the eye of Augusta National Golf Club. Yeah, and certainly not get away with it. Um, <laughs> Hence Gary Player's kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so I got Scheffler, Thomas, Woods, DJ. You have Rory, Morikawa, Spieth, Fitzpatrick. Um, and, yep. and this time I will be posting these picks before so people can see them. It will not be a beautiful graphic. It'll probably just be a table on a Google Doc and then a screenshot. That's that's what well, you upgraded from MS Paint. So you got that. <laughs> that's what kind of uh, that's what kind of podcast this is, folks. Just just the raw, just the raw facts. Uh, hey, you're here for the takes and the information, not for the <laughs> graphic design. That's right. Um, I I got a lot of honorable mentions, just guys that I think are going to play well. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I had some guys who are higher up in the rankings, but I just don't know if it's their time yet. Okay, give me. Let's do this. I'm gonna. You you can start. Give me two honorable minchies, um, and then I'll give you two, and then we can discuss one of the four. Or, or sure, I'll give you. To, you know. I'll give you my plays best, but I didn't pick them honorable minchie. Okay, and I'll give you my in the fields honorable minchie. Like that. Go ahead. Playing best at the time and up there in the rankings, Max Homa. Mm-hmm. And would love to see him win Tony Finau. Love it. Love Finau. Um, he's going to win one at some point, right? He's going to get one. He's too good to not get it. Um, Max Homa has never really played that great at Augusta. You couldn't have him on your team because you can't have two California Golden Bears <laughs> on your team. Um, I think Jason Davis. Oh, East Coast liberal elite. We've discussed <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I think Jason Day is going to play well, um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him near the top of a leaderboard. I think, um, I, I like, I really do think that there's a lot of guys that have won tournaments that haven't won majors that can play that can play well, even if they can't win. Sam Burns is one. Tom Kim is one. I still think Brooks Kepka is going to be able to get it around Augusta National. I mean. He's just never really played bad there. Uh, I like Tommy Fleetwood a lot. He's never won. A, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's never won a PGA Tour event. No, I mean he's a stud on the European Tour, but 
and he just has a thousand top fives. Um, yep. I like him. Yeah, he's burning me in enough Masters pools. I, I couldn't pull the trigger on him. And then there's a guy down here, Mike, at 150 to one named Brian Harmon. There was a picture that came out of Harmon during Monday's practice round with Dustin Johnson. Um, and if you can imagine a zoomed in. I, I did see it right before I logged on. I saw your tweet. Yeah. yeah it's a tough look. Angles are important, obviously. Um, and then my last um, honorable mention here, Victor Hovland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like him a lot. Another guy that's won tournaments, never won a major, certainly never won at Augusta, but I could see him playing well. Um, Mike, do you have any picks for guys like near the top of the betting odds that you don't expect to play well? Uh, I mean, well, that's what we were getting at. There's so many guys that have the ability to go real low or, you know, when you're at the top of the rankings, you've got the money. And if you have a bad Thursday, you might mail it in Friday. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, number one culprit for the last few years was Phil Mickelson you know, was able to win any tournament. But if he had a bad Thursday or got off to a bad start on Friday, he might just coast in at plus two, plus three. And if he didn't make the cut, what does he carry? He owns his private jet. He doesn't <laughs> even have to rent it. Um, I'm thinking a guy that I was tempted to pick but didn't, Xander Shoffley. Yeah, I like Shoffley at Augusta, but he just hasn't been playing that well. It fits it, but yeah, he just yeah, he hasn't been. And it's so easy to turn a four or a five into a six or seven there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then if you get like, I feel like an important part of the Masters usually is knowing where you're at and knowing like when to when to go and when to woe. Like and Tiger Woods obviously was the prime example in 2019 of just kind of oh that Sunday round was perfection just cruise he just, control. He that was that was the golf equivalent of a rope-a-dope. Yeah, he had like three or four of the best guys playing the best golf in the world, all looking over each other's shoulders and trying to throw haymakers, and he just saved off a couple bogeys, made a birdie or two, and then when everybody else went in the water on 12 and on 15. He was like, I'll make my one good shot. I'll play it safe on 15. And then when he got that lead, he just pulled out that circa 2000 Tiger mentality and stuck it to, what, three feet on 16? Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, but there are guys like, say, Will Zalatoris. He's 16 to 1. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's, like, patient enough and, like, solid enough with the putting that can, can like, I don't know, like, control himself long enough to do that kind of thing, but maybe I'm completely wrong on that. It's just a feel of certain golfers. Patrick Cantlay is another great example of just a guy that's just going to hover. He's just not really going to go anywhere. Um, and you'll have to come up to him if you want to catch him. But, uh, but, but if you want to go for value, he might be a good value because not a lot of people are putting money behind him because he's never won, but he's number four in the world right now. You're talking about Cantlay? Yeah, yeah, he's twenty to one, dude, and he's yeah, top five golfer in the so world. If you want value? I mean, it, it, betting to win is kind of a sucker's bet. Mm-hmm. You're either going to win big or you're not, no matter who you put money on. Right. If you want to go top ten, I'd think that you're going to get better odds and better chances with Cantley than anyone else. I could see an old guy winning this one. Not an old guy, but like um, it's the ten year anniversary of Adam Scott's Masters champion Masters um, title. Uh, he's a hundred to one. Bubba Watson, a hundred to one, former Masters champ. 
I saw odds way longer than that on Bubba. On Bubba? Yeah. I got him 100 to 1. 100? Oh, okay, 100. Sorry, I deal with the plus. Sorry. Oh, yeah, so plus, plus 10,000. Yeah, you're stuck on horse racing odds. <laughs> My bad. Uh, Adam Scott plus 10,000 also. Uh, and then I don't like this guy. Nobody does. But Pat Reed has been playing great mm-hmm. golf wherever it is, live or not. And he's won at the Masters before. And if there's ever a guy who loves being a piece of shit, it's Patrick Reed. He thrives. I mean, he's the, the most heel of all heels. He thrives in it. And so this would be the kind of thing you would think that he would love to go in there and get booed and, and shoot a four, four under on Thursday and take a – you know what I mean? Like I could see that happening for sure. Can, can I tell you a quick inside baseball story? Sure. You might appreciate it more than our readers just because we're in the same profession. But uh, what is – the number one rule of any working press box or press facility. <laughs> no cheering in the press box. Right. So in 2019, I was there when Tiger won, and people were openly cheering in the immediate facility. Yeah. Which was a little bit weird. Do you know what happened exactly one year before that? When Pat Reed won. There were people openly booing and jeering <laughs> in the press facility of Augusta. <laughs> As he put it, that's how much nobody likes the game. That's why this is such a great fucking tournament. It's just such and a great Augusta tournament. And is a place where, like, if you cough at the wrong time, they might just kindly ask you to leave. And there were at least a couple dozen people gathered around the TV that I was at in the media building that were just, oh, every time you made a shot. Dude, the media building there is phenomenal. It's the best working environment, obviously, I've ever been in. It's crazy. Um, what's your uh, what's your snack of choice at the Masters? <laughs> um, the dinner they serve Sunday night in the media room that you can't get on the course. Wow, an elitist. Yep, staying true to his uh, brand. No, I'm, I'm going. I'm a man of the people when I'm out there with the people, so I'm going straight up barbecue sandwich. All right, Mikey. We think our guy. Um, we think our guy Ben Carr has a shot at making the cut from Georgia Southern. <sighs> Oh man, I was gonna bring him up if you didn't. Uh, yeah, let's talk about. I mean, that's a tough. That's a tough ask of literally anybody who's an amateur playing. I would say that the one thing he has going for him is that he's a Georgia guy with Georgia roots, deep golf connections. So this week is not the first time he's seen that course. So maybe he won't be as shell shocked as some people, but I can only assume that you know, being invited by a member to play in November is going to be a little bit different look than what he's seeing. We're recording Monday than what he's seeing today out there. Sure. Um, sure. But the guys are kinder. Somebody you know, has to win the low amateur. There's only seven of them. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't put up, he might not always put up super low numbers, but he very rarely puts up high numbers. He's really good at, you know, stopping it at one bogey or keeping a bogey from becoming a double. Right. And if you're going to make the cut, that's what you have to do. No one's going to expect an amateur to go out there and put up a, a 68 or something on Thursday. So, But, I mean, if Sam Bennett, the <laughs> kid that he lost to in the USAM, like if he's yeah. the if he's the benchmark for low amateur, then Ben Carr can win low amateur. And, of course, look, you can win low amateur without making the cut. If, right. Obviously, if no other amateur makes the cut. But that's something I'd be watching. That's a big <laughs> deal, Mike, because – 
you start thinking about people born in the state of Georgia that have won this event, it's a very, very, very small list. I mean, I don't know. Do you have it in front of you? Because I can think of one. I can think of one, too. Larry Mize. I mean, is there another? Like Bubba Watson, he went to Georgia, but he... He went to Georgia, but he's not from Georgia. You no, know, he's from... You, you want to know where he's from? And I don't know how I know this. I guess because of the name, but he's from Baghdad, Florida. <laughs> oh, I have had, heard that, yeah. Which is, you know... Baghdad, not great. Uh, all right. Anything else, Mikey? Uh, no, only that now that you brought up that little geography thing and the way that Bubba hits the ball, if I were him as a teenager on the range, I would be blasting bombs over Baghdad. <laughs> and that's what we'll end on. Happy Masters Weeks, folks. Uh, we will see you next week for episode 155. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, 
Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call, 912-484-5282.